the EDP. Weird Norfolk, with Shifra Connor, Stacia Briggs and Richard Fair. Hello and welcome to uh, Weird Norfolk on the Road. Um, I'm Shifra, this is Stacia and this is Richard. We're very excited to be um, here at the Seagull um, Theatre. Um, the collaboration with the Seagull Rep was a really good opportunity for us to kind of tiptoe over the border into Suffolk. We've read a lot about Lowestoft and it's, it's a very interesting haunted place. So we were, we were desperate to get here, basically. We're really lucky today. I'm very excited um, to have Ivan Bunn with us. We've come a lot across Ivan a lot in our research because he was part of the Borderline Science Investigation Group who were based in Lowestoft and they produced an amazing little journal, which I have one floating around here, um, of all sorts of um, paranormal... Yeah, it's called The Lantern, and it was full of paranormal experiences, UFO sightings, um, folklore, all sorts of interesting things. So it's 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 an honour. We're very, very excited. There's Um, hardly an episode of the podcast goes by where Shifa doesn't mention the lantern. <laughs> this is true. That is actual, actual truth. Actual factual. Actual factual. Um, so, yeah, I guess before we get started, my first question is... Whose phone is that? Whose phone is that? <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that wasn't going to be my first question. <laughs> Although it might be the answer. Yeah, it could be the answer. My first question is, is this theatre haunted? Does any, I didn't actually do any research. Yes. Is it really? Yeah, it's one of the only places I know in Lowestoft that is haunted. Oh, really? more stories about this place than anywhere else. I'm actually really pleased that I didn't Google this first, because really? I was like, I don't even want to know, I'm just going to wait till we get there and see what happens. Okay. <laughs> well, this didn't happen to me personally, but I've heard a lot about um, an old woman sort of floating around here, but especially on this top plinth here and just walking up and down because this used to be a Victorian school I mean you can still see where it says boys and girls but I've heard of lots of different things um, especially up in the top uh, where the costumes are I think there's a little cupboard off one of the (laughs) rehearsal rooms Um, yeah one of the things I heard was that um, there was a guy sat outside in his car just waiting for someone in the theatre who was at club and um, he just saw in his wing mirror that there was a woman walking along here. And obviously you'd be a bit worried. You'd think, oh, why is that lady up there? Yeah. So he came in and said something. And, of course, there's no way of getting out there and there was nobody up there. But I think he was a bit shaken up because I, I think he wasn't someone that anything like that had happened to him before. Wow. But um, Karen actually <laughs> um, stayed a night in the theatre, so Karen runs the theatre, and I think so many people had said about all of these goings on that she decided that she uh, wanted to spend money, <laughs> which I would never dare do. But um, I feel I should pass you over to Karen, who should explain what it was like. Well, yeah, I'm I'm here a lot. I'm here a lot by myself. I'm up in the office when everywhere else is locked up. You do hear noises. You hear noises a lot. But to be fair, I always rationalise them as to what they are, what they could be. I've never seen anything, I've never... anything that I could link to something. But I did sleep one New Year's Eve down here all night with my daughter. There was two of us. We both stayed here. Um, and there are a lot of noises. There are a lot of noises. What kind of noises? Just 
you think footprints, you think people walking around, footsteps. Um, sometimes you hear tapping. Um, so up in the office sometimes. But you see, I, another time I can rationalise it because I've heard tapping. I've opened my office door and there has been a bird up on the roof. And so you can straight away assume it is that bird. So, no, I've never, ever seen or heard anything. Does it frighten you being here or not? No, no. no it's not that sort of building. No, no so it's a very, very warm, welcoming building. It yes. doesn't worry. Not at all, no. I did no. have a lady come in once who told me that she was very spiritual, and she told me as soon as she came into the foyer, this was a couple of years ago, that she could see a child running up and down here, but getting to... It was, a, it was a boy, and she said he kept getting to the point where it became girls, and he stopped, and he couldn't go any further. <sighs> And he was just running up and down in the boys' bit and then kept stopping. And she said she could see him as clear as day. Um, but yes, that was just one occasion. So I suppose we should ask, ask Ivan, is, as far as you know, is this place haunted? That's the first stories I've heard from here. All the years I've been oh, investigating wow. ghosts, it's very going to have to rewrite the book now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and add the new stories. And no, I have to say, um, I was born literally 300 yards up the road from here. And I came here um, when it was a youth club. Uh, I came here, uh, I think it was an annex to the art college for a little while. And um, I won a scholarship and up in the top room there for a little while I came here, but that was too boring. So uh, <laughs> I went off to chase goose instead. Um, but no, I'd never, ever heard any stories at all uh, about this it's building. And this is the, I think this is the whole point of this. Uh, I've been... Um, it was 1972 when I first got involved with... Um, I was only five, by the way. <laughs> um, when I first got interested in ghosts, and I've been collecting stories ever since. I don't go out chasing ghosts anymore. I'm too old for that. But, um, and it's amazing. Wherever you go, you half expect, more than half expect, that somebody's going to regale you with... A ghost story. Um, tonight is a perfect example of yet another venue and I'm sure if um, you went to many of the um, public buildings and some of the private houses along here and especially where people have lived there for a long while they would tell you yes strange things happen there. It's really really in incredible. Uh, I think the other interesting thing about it is unless you are, you are psychic if you believe there is such a thing as psychic people. Um, I spent from 1972 to about 1982, um, to a greater or lesser degree, spending uh, in haunted houses. That's like Karen. We used to go everywhere. We used to take all this fancy equipment for detecting ghosts. And if you asked me, nothing ever happened. Uh, ask somebody else who was there, and they would say, yes, they experienced that. Um, I've had um, a couple of, should we call them, paranormal experiences, and both of them happened when I was least expecting it. The last thing I was thinking about was chasing ghosts, looking for ghosts, waiting for ghosts. Uh, these were two um, completely um, out-of-the-blue experiences. And I think when we used to go as a, a band of ghost hunters, I think we just frightened them off. <laughs> in that picture that I bought, you all look very serious. So yeah, there is a picture of us ghost hunting there. I'm the second from the left, if you look at the picture, the good-looking one. 
can, 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 can I take you back then to the, yeah. the 70s? So yeah. you were investigating haunted houses. Yes. So somebody came to you with the story we heard just a few moments ago about the little boy yes. running up and down here. <coughs> what would you do with that then? How would we you investigate would, that? We, we had, uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm sure some of you can remember the 1970s and late 60s, the age of Aquarius, the mystical world, we were going to change everything. Do you remember? <laughs> we never did. Um, um, so we took, it, we took it very seriously. We didn't... Um, um, our group, the Borderline Science Investigation Group, we called ourselves BASIG for short. <laughs> and uh, we took it very ser seriously and... Our idea was to obtain scientific proof that UFOs, ghosts, and everything else existed. That was the bottom line. So we approached it at a very practical level. We wouldn't take so-called mediums or anything like that. We have seances on our thing. We took little bits of... You can see some of our gizmos on that photograph that we took. Uh, draft detectors and temperature recorders and and the such like. So, going back to what you asked, and we had paperwork. So we had formal paperwork, um, we had questions, we had one of our, a bit later, when this borderline science investigation group started in the sixth form of the old grammar school at Lowestoft. Um, I wasn't there, I'm older than the founder members. Four of the people there are founder members, and they um, invited me because I was more mature, <laughs> <laughs> um, to come and be the chairman of their newly formed group. So um, <clears throat> that's how I got involved with them. One of the guys went on to uni, um, he was very interested in psychology, so we had a questionnaire that we would get people. So we'd come and see Karen and um, ask her a question and we would fill in the questionnaire, we would record it, then we would request permission to come and spend a night here. Um, the day when the lady saw the phantom boy running up and down, we would ask what day of the week that was, and we would try and get here on the same, to try and recreate uh, there. And wherever we went, we investigated the town hall at Lowestoft a number of times. Uh, we always worked in pairs. Nobody was allowed to work alone. You had to... So if... Um, you and I, if I'm sitting in a room and I think I see an apparition in that corner and I'm the only person there, um, is it subjective, i.e. is it in my head, or is it objective, is it a real entity out there? If you've got two people... You'd ask me. Yeah, if you yes. see the same thing, <laughs> yeah. then we know it's objective. If you say, hell, I can't see anything, that either means I'm psychic or in actual fact I'm projecting that, that, so we always work, worked in peers. And then afterwards, um, uh, we'd, we'd spend the night doing that. Uh, we would take temperature readings all night. We kept um, logs, and we would log anything that we thought was untoward. And we wouldn't tell each other at the time, unless something really scary happened. <laughs> <laughs> and we had one or two very scary... Ex but they weren't um, anything to do with goose. Uh, surprising. And the other thing, of course, is as well, did you stay awake all night, Karen? No. No. That's probably best because by about four o'clock in the morning, you're 
tired brain starts really to play tricks on you. We were in one old house, Westwood Lodge, down um, at Blybrook, and uh, early on the morning, uh, when we got really turned on, we actually had um, little walkie-talkies where we could talk to each other. We were really clued up. And, uh, and we had one guy click through from the... His mate had gone to sleep beside him um, in another part of the building. He said, you're not going to believe this, but I think I just saw a zebra walk down the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but we did take it... Then afterwards... Um, uh, as soon as possible, after the investigation finished, it was usually only for one night, we would then all get together and have a debrief. We'd all compare our notes, temperature readings, and uh, we would then publish a formal report on what we considered had happened, if anything. And I still got a filing cabinet full of them at home. I mean, when I read through the lantern, yeah. uh, it's so like your reports are so detailed. Oh yeah, it's, it's yeah, really yeah. really useful actually. Yeah. And we critique them. If you look at the back of lantern, you can see a critique that, um, embarrassingly, I wrote at the time. Um, about. Um, did you desperately want to find something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, but we wanted to find something that we could measure. We wanted to find, and I think as the years went by, we became more and more disillusioned. And with that disillusionment became <coughs> cynicism. <laughs> we started, sorry if I can cover, just getting over this horrible summer cold, and I've got a death in that ear, and i still got a tip to sore through, but I shall hang in, <laughs> as good goose hunters do. Yeah, so... Yeah, it was good. It was really good fun. We did, I have to say, it was fun at the time, but in a serious way. We did take what we did. Um, we've been, um, I was asked earlier before we started recording this, uh, would you like to um, do it again? Would you like to produce more copies of The Lantern? Yes, I would, but it never would happen because... That lantern, the and it's not the lantern, by the way. I know, way. I always say the lantern. <laughs> no. But I'll, I'll forgive you. Lantern, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could, if you could have seen the committee um, meetings we had before we came <laughs> up with that, that title. Why was it the lantern um, shining we're a light? Shining on. a light on yeah. everything, weren't we? I always wanted to do a lantern man, as in like no, the no, kind of no. the folk. It might have, that might have entered yeah, into yeah. it as we discussed it, yeah. uh, but it was all very serious and heavy stuff. And between you and me and this microphone, a lot of the time when, especially when we were doing work on the, the magazine, I basically produced about 40 copies of that, single-handed on a Remington typewriter, and then a Gazette, Gazettner, uh, it was a labour of love. But uh, for some of the time, we were quite stilled as well. Then, as you <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest with you, it wasn't. Um, um, it's very good for free... Thought when you start, you tend, your thoughts tend to flow all over the place. Do you think you we should try it for the EDP? Hmm? Do you think we should try it for the EDP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put it to them. Yeah. You so said you, you, said you, you did lots of reports and critiques. Yeah. So who were you passing those on to anybody? No. So who uh, were they yes. Uh, occasionally we would send some if we thought they were relevant enough. We were associated with the Society for Psychical Research, the SPR, and. Um, we um, would occasionally send a report to them, but their, our reports, compared with the stuff that they did, were uh, pretty tame and poor. 
why why is lower stuff so paranormally active? It's like, why? It's crazy. There's just why? so many stories. I'll tell you why. Because we went round in the 1970s, <laughs> <laughs> collecting as many stories as we could, and. Um, uh, as I said, as I showed you earlier, I can show you now. In 1975, to try and fund some of our research, we produced this. Haunted Lowestoft. 30 pence. And we went round, myself and Mike Burgess, one of the four founder members, and we produced this little booklet, and um, we sold hundreds and hundreds of them. It actually... Um, became, and still is, I think, the most stolen book ever from Lowestoft Library. <laughs> but this, this year, or at Christmas, just gone, we produced the fourth edition. Yeah. Um, much more extensive. And um, it's the kind of kept it in the family. Ghosts in All England. of the work for that include... Uh, um, uh, not the stories, because the stories obviously are real. We've added and added to them, collected more. That's why there's some more. So, see, we've got some more to go in there tonight, yeah. in the fifth edition, and that sort of thing. But all of this has been collated and produced and put together by my grandson. So we're keeping it in the family. And I so said, that's, that's the fourth edition. So it, it lives on. Uh, Available for all on. good bookshops? Um, basically, Waterstones, or you can get it on Amazon. Or free yeah. from the library. Yeah. <laughs> so, or from the library, yeah. yeah. But go back. <laughs> go, I think that's why there are so many ghosts yeah. in, in Laos, simply because we've it's been your collecting. Fault, yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah. And let's be honest, where there wasn't any interesting yeah, I was, story. I was like, looking for like mystical reasons. I was like, oh, well, maybe it's because the um, St. Michael and Mary ley lines end up near here. Maybe it's because it's the most easterly point. But it's just here. But it's actually because you guys were just yeah. really. Prolific. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, there, there could be more to it. I mean, yeah. you've got the Great Dragon line that passes from St Michael's Mount, yeah. in, and it actually passes through um, Hopton yeah, that's it. I wasn't Church. Sure. Yeah, some, some accounts say Lowestoft, and some say Hopton. So I wasn't yeah. sure which one. You have to be careful when you talk to people about a Great Lay because they wonder what. what <laughs> yeah, you're... what are you going on about? That's <laughs> uh, L-E-Y. These lines of power that are supposed to run across the, the country and the, the most powerful one known as the Dragon Line is supposed to cross the coast um, here through Hopton Church. There you align ancient sites to create them. That was another thing. We, we spent ages and ages um, creating ley lines then we got cynical about it because we decided that if you use a one-inch ordnance survey map to join things up, even with um, a very fine pencil, if you actually measure it on the ground, it's about 500 yards wide. <laughs> it's not a narrow little line on the ground, so it could hit almost anything. Yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, as I said, but I think answer your question. I think probably that has got a little bit to do with it. Yeah. But I think you could do that anywhere. Yeah. You did, like us, go on tour, though, didn't you? You did go to Norwich and other places. Uh, oh, yeah, well, we, in, we didn't just investigate ghosts. Um, yeah, in, no, we went all over the place. Um, yeah. Different. Um, we did a couple of appearances on Anglia television oh, in the really? late 1970s, yeah. From my point of view, it was enjoyable, it was great fun, they great memories. Um, I don't think I could do it again now. I've got too old and too cynical. 
we do Weird Suffolk as well as Weird Norfolk, but we don't have a Weird Suffolk podcast yet. But we have done a couple of stories for Weird Suffolk about Lowestoft. Um, I, you might be, you're probably, actually, I think one of them was an investigation that you guys went on at, um, okay. not that one, uh, at the Anchor. At the, it was on the high street, oh, yeah, the, the, and it, yeah. it used to be called Bay. I think most recently it's called Bayfield. Bay yeah, yeah, and that sounded really haunted. So I'll just read what Stacia wrote because she wrote it so beautifully. Um, in 1976, when the high street pub and hotel was called the Anchor, there were reports of a ghost being seen in the bedrooms in the building. A figure dressed in monks in a monk's distinctive robe, his appearance accompanied by a drop in temperature and gusts of cold air. It was the same figure which had been seen by a sailor sleeping on a couch in the hotel's lounge during World War II. He was awakened by a blast of icy cold air, and when he opened his eyes, he saw the outline of a hooded figure standing in the doorway, which disappeared when he moved. The same hooded apparition was also spotted at a house which once stood nearby, but was demolished in the 1960s, and at Mariner's Score opposite the hotel. In the group's quarterly journal... Um, the following notes were made about the investigation. At 3.30am, a noise was heard in the cellar and the temperature dropped by 1.5 centigrade and did not pick up again for two hours. Then at 4.45am, gentle footsteps were heard, but the investigation team could not decide if they originated inside or outside of the building. After the all-night vigil by BSIG investigations at Lowestoft in the cellar at the Anchor Hotel, it was decided to try and reproduce the mysterious footsteps heard by the team in the early hours of the morning. On Sunday, May 30th, two of the team members visited the hotel and tried to recreate the gentle footsteps. Unfortunately, no real conclusive results were obtained, although the investigators were able to establish that it was not possible to hear footsteps of people walking in the street above. While the three investigators were in the cellar, two other team members tried to project a ghost into the cellar. During the night, they pictured a hooded figure and tried to project the image to the investigators, whose minds it was hoped would be in the right state. Unfortunately, the attempt was completely unsuccessful. Uh, <laughs> but well, I thought that was really interesting, they're trying defense, to project. I wasn't involved like, in the second half of that. Yeah. Oh, I, I am actually now a professional historian, that's what I do for a living, but I got into history through the ghosts, literally because um, as the months, years passed, and we were collecting more stories, they're all fascinating, and that, but I became more and more interested in actually the localities that were haunted, particularly buildings. So if I can use an example here, had we heard the story about the fountain boy running up here and we had decided to come and investigate it. Our investigation team would come along here, collect the notes, do the interviewing. I would now be um, in the record office or sitting at home or online researching the history of the building. Um, I became more and more interested in the history of the building um, over decades, uh, uh, in the history than the ghosts. And over the years I kind of moved more and more into the history side of it. But unfortunately, by then, I'd got this kind of... It's Ivan the Goosebuster image, <laughs> and um, which is probably why I'm still sitting here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I enjoy it, but I don't go out hunting for goose anymore, and um, I still like the story. What do you think you'd have done if you'd have found one? Hmm? 
Don't you think you'd have been terrified? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder yeah. what, what the group would have actually I can done. If would you like to hear a nice anecdotal story about what might have been? Okay, on May the 2nd every year, um, at Borough uh, St Peter Church, at midnight, <clears throat> the, the devil, um, in the shape of a hooded figure with glowing eyes, clutching a pup, um, a roll of grubby parchment is supposed to appear outside the churchyard, pacing up and down. He's said to be, and I won't go into the full story, but the legend is that a guy called Adam de Morland in the year of 1106, I think it is, according to tradition, um, he sold his soul to the devil. And um, he, presumably like somebody who wins um, the lottery, he went on a world cruise, or the equivalent back in medieval times, and he was coming back to Borough St Peter and his ship foundered and um, sunk and he was about to go down for the third time and I suppose like many people in the past and the future will do, he started to say his prayers and he said, God if you help me I'll go back to Borough St Peter and the rest of my ill-gotten gains I'll spend to build a church and Borough St Peter Church is it. May the 2nd, um, the church was... Um, consecrated and that same day he died and obviously the devil um, was either a bit slow on the uptake by the time he came to get his soul he was in consecrated ground Adam was so they couldn't get him out so the devil appears every year on May the 2nd outside the churchyard so on May the 2nd I can't remember which year it was some 78, 79 we decided to spend the night in the church and we got permission all legit six of us went, we had uh, two people sitting in the car park um, away from the churchyard gate looking straight at the church um, in the darkness, we had two people inside the church porch and we had two people actually sitting inside the church myself and Dennis, who's on that foot one of, those, uh, one of the guys on the foot we were in the church and um, it was dead quiet uh, and pretty spooky, particularly as Dennis kept telling ghost stories, which is not a good thing to do if you're sitting in what's supposed to be a hall of church. And, uh, he kept saying things, what would you do if you saw two glowing red lights start coming up towards us? And it's, 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 it's pitch black. And anyway, um, do you remember the little watches you could get with the red numbers on? Well, we had one and we went countdown to midnight for the devil. And exactly on the count of midnight, outside the church, there was a tremendous flash of white light, followed by three or four more. And um, we heard the two guys in the porch. Um, there was uh, one of those um, metal doors with the um, chicken wire on to stop the birds getting in. We heard that. And we heard feet running down the gravel path. Um, we flicked our torches on, got out as quick as we could. Uh, when we got outside, there was about three foot high of mist just hanging up. It was so evocative. Um, the car doors were open and there was nobody in the car. The two guys who had, um, <laughs> the two guys who were in the porch, we couldn't see them. And we said, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> and a few minutes later, we heard running footsteps and the four of them came back down the road. And... Um, he said, what's going on, what's going on? He said, don't know, don't know. He said, um, there's something up there, great flashes of light. He said, and um, so we packed up and went home. <laughs> <laughs>
and uh, we secured the church, and we were absolutely dumbfounded. It was. Do so you have any explanation to what those flashes I'll come to that are? In a <laughs> Sorry. No. We. <laughs> we had our debrief the next day, we were making copious notes and our report and everything about what it could be speculating that. May the 2nd next year we decided to go again, but only four of us want to go this time. And we didn't go in the church or the churchyard, we sat in the car, in the car park, right at the far side under a, under a tree. And we sat there. And about quarter midnight, a car came slowly down the lane and parked up. And Two guys got out and started getting gear out of the boot. And we looked at it, tripod, camera, alarm bells start ringing here. So we climbed out of the car and uh, wandered up to them and said, uh, oh, are you here for the same reason as us? You waiting to see if the devil appears? And they said, yeah, yeah. Um, said, we were here last year, they said. <laughs> But when we came down the road, um, there, was, there was a courting couple sitting in a car. <laughs> well, if you look at my mate's long hair on that photograph, one of them, they thought he was a girl. So they, he said we drove back up the road and we went round to the field at the back of the church and we sat at the camera and we took some flash photographs. <laughs> we didn't actually tell them that we'd been there. <laughs> we decided that discretion was the better part of valour there, so we didn't oh, say anything. But the, I think the fascinating thing about that is, it's a slant, isn't it? Had we not gone back, I would be sitting here regaling you with this really weird experience that I had at Borough St Peter that I, we can't find an explanation for. But by going back, uh, that's happened on a number of occasions. and. Um, as I say, quite often it's early hours of the morning, 55 to High Street, we spent um, a night there. Um, and we were, it was early hours of the morning, it was dark all night, and there was um, four of us there, two upstairs and two downstairs. And um, about three o'clock in the morning, one of the guys, the guys from downstairs came upstairs and he said, we can hear footsteps. And we said, can we? He said, come down here. And we went down one landing, and the central staircase all the way down with rooms off, and that you can hear this. And we sort of, from the other side of that door. <laughs> so short stores, who's going to open the door? <laughs> and um, in the end, we decided, well, we're here for, to investigate, we've got to go in the room. So we flung the door open and Martin put our torches on. And we didn't realise um, that it had been raining half the night and the roof leaked and it was dripping onto a pile of newspapers in the corner. <laughs> but again, early on in the morning when your brain is getting um, tired, and it's not just when you go hunting, I'm sure anybody who's had to work night shifts or particularly if you've been in the forces and you've been out two or three nights in a row and not got any kip, you can have all sorts of weird and wonderful um, experiences. Um, so has anyone got any stories that they want to add in at all? My father, who died ooh, 
well, nearly 30 years ago. When he was alive, one of the things that he liked to do when we all got together as a family, like Ivan, and I had a large family in the neighbourhood, was to sing. And he couldn't sing. <laughs> but he always said, you know, I couldn't sing till I had lessons, but he couldn't sing. But he loved a microphone. Aww. When he passed away, um, it was left to me to do the eulogy for him. So I wrote a thing about his life and all the rest of it, as you do. Stood in the, in the creme, in front of the microphone, and the microphone stopped working. And I had to do this, because that's the other thing he always used to do was, is it working? Is it working? And while I was standing in the creme, it stopped, and I carried on. And then it started Aww. again. And we always said that, that was my dad saying, it's all right. Oh, that's so sweet. Aww. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've got one story. I think we'll finish on this one. Um, it's a story from someone I work with, actually, called Jamie. <laughs> and he, he lives in Lowestoft. And when he first started working with us, he told me this story because he found out that we did the weird stuff. And um, he was like, oh, this weird thing happened to me. On, um, I went for a walk with some, of my, with some of his friends. Anyway, this is his account. I'd just finished a walk with two friends at Dip Farm, Pitch and Put, and we were walking back to where our car was parked on Corton Road. It was dusk. As we crossed Corton Road, I saw a figure head towards the car and stop next to the car. The figure then went around the side of the car and out of view. I knew one of my friends had seen the figure too, so we decided to approach with caution in case it was someone trying to break into the car and we'd catch them in the act. Within, five seconds, within the five seconds it had taken to walk to the car, there was no one to be seen. There was no chance that someone could run off without us hearing them as the car was blocked in by a thick bush and we would have seen them if they'd crossed back over the road. I wouldn't have trusted myself if it was just me that saw the figure, but it was so clear, and the fact my friend saw it too was very creepy. I've avoided the place ever since. And then he added, It's not really near anywhere either, so it's never too busy, which makes it even creepier. We hadn't seen anyone else walking by at all. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with that road at all. Was that because I don't describe the figure in any way? Because I think I can offer you a, a sequel to that. Okay, because he just said it was a dark figure. When he first mm. told me, he just said it was a dark figure, mm. and they couldn't really make anything out. In but it was dusk, so you would still see something. In 1867, the drill sergeant from the Suffolk Artillery Volunteers, Sergeant John Hargreaves, um, I think he's about 47 years old, on a Sunday evening was walking along that stretch of road, which is Dip Farm, and with his uh, a friend who lived at Gunton Hall, um, and um, he suddenly collapsed and fell. The sergeant did, and um, his uh, friend um, quickly um, took him back to the hall. But by the time he got there, he'd dead. They got a doctor, and he'd had a massive heart attack. Sergeant John Hargreaves. Let me just go off at a tangent here. Um, I was told at one of my talks by some people who had lived at um, Corton, Gunton, um, it's actually still in Gunton when you're there, um, that when they were children, um, they had been told that the, that stretch of road was haunted by the ghost of the tallest soldier in England. And that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
so anyway, this is what happened to John Hargraves. He was a, a war hero from the Crimean War. He'd got the Legion d'Honor, and apparently he'd fought off Russians at a gun battle with his um, ramrod thing because he'd lost his rifle. And he'd retired and he'd come to live in Lowestoft. He was engaged to uh, a Lowestoft girl who he lives, lived around the corner to where I live now, which is totally immature at this story. <laughs> and uh, and uh, anyway, um, that was the story I'd heard. And then Sergeant Hargreaves. And, uh, and I found this all out because I was cataloguing in my job some archives that had been brought in, and there was a Somebody in the early 20th century had been cutting press cuttings out of old newspapers. And there was the story of the death of John Hargreaves. But the fascinating thing about it was, and I don't know, don't know if this ties in with yeah. it, but uh, um, that's why I asked who was there a description. John Hargreaves, um, his nickname was Long John Hargreaves because he was six foot four tall in his stock and feet, which in the mid-19th um, century is tall. Very tall. And yeah. so hence, I'd already heard this um, legend, if you like, yeah. of the ghost of the tallest soldier in England, and then suddenly I find the tragic death of a very tall yeah. soldier there, and, and apparently where he died, the description of where he died is not particularly clear, but I mm. think it was on one of the footpaths that go through Dick Farm yeah. um, by Pleasurewood Hills, all that yeah. area. And then um, there was a car park there, so it could yeah, be. So it could be, and that's where That's why I was yeah, totally fascinated. I'd loved, like... I'd loved you at the end of the said, but the thing that really impressed him was the figure was very tall. Yes. That would really yeah. have put me I will ask him, again. I'll say if he can be a little bit more descriptive of the figure, and if he says he was really tall, yeah. I'll be like, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found so that, the ghost. That, that, that's John Hargreaves, and he's buried in Lowestoft Cemetery, and up until. Um, they stopped to have a cemetery superintendent and, uh, uh, sorry, St Margaret's Churchyard, not Lassa Cemetery. Um, he'd brought back from the Crimean War with him that he, he kept in his garden a small Russian cannon and that was actually put on his grave. Uh, but in the 1970s it was vandalised and smashed and the grave itself is now completely overgrown and you can't see it. But... Um, the whole town apparently mourned him when he went. He was a very popular man in Lowestoft. Yeah, yeah. He was a local. He, 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 was, he <laughs> came from Lancashire, actually. He was a Lancashire man. Anyway, that's Long John Hargreaves and uh, possibly, uh, possibly a sequel yes. or uh, an explanation <laughs> for what your friends saw. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for having a chat with us. It's What's been really right? interesting. <laughs> and uh, thank you guys for all coming along. Yeah. It was really good to see you all. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Weird Norfolk, produced and edited by Richard Fair. The EDP. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.